Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everyone and welcome to today's ODI Friday's Lunchtime Lecture. I'm Hannah Folds and I'm the Head of Marketing Membership here at the ODI. Put your hand up if you've ever felt like an imposter at work. Okay, that's everyone in the room. Uh, <laughs> you might be relieved like I was to see that this event was sold out, even though not everyone, probably because of the snow has shown up. We also had a really big waiting list. I think it's reassuring to know that so many people are feeling the same way that we are. I used to work in the education sector and I came here uh, to an organisation that's often at the forefront of emerging tech and it can be really daunting and quite scary. And luckily here people explain things really well and they're very patient with me. Every now and then something like blockchain comes along and I manage to slowly get my head around it and then something else emerges. It's my real pleasure today to introduce Simon, Simon Bullmore, formerly our uh, Head of Learning here at the ODI, uh, but now runs his own uh, digital agency. Is that how you describe it? Yeah. 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 Commission Drive and still delivers lots of training for us, so he might be a familiar face to some of you. Over to you. Thank you very much, and thank you for braving the snow. And if you're online, I hope you are cosy and warm wherever you are. So why do we need to talk about data? Um, well, as I'm sure as many of you are familiar, data is becoming a pervasive part of our work, of our society and our communities. It's becoming perhaps an important element of our infrastructure, or in fact it's probably become as important an element of our infrastructure as our more traditional infrastructure, so whether that's energy, gas, electricity or transport. It's part of our infrastructure and we call it data infrastructure because data powers the apps that we use, the websites that we use, and new and exciting technologies like AI. But why do we need to talk about data? Well, if data and data infrastructure is going to become something that is useful for us all, we need a diverse group of people as possible contributing to the conversation. Um, Organisations like the ODI are very good at introducing diversity into the conversation. But actually, we need more of that. Why do we need more of that? Well, it'd be preferable for us to have a future where data is an infrastructure that is valuable and valued by everybody, and not in the way that perhaps oil. So data is often called the new oil, data is the new oil, and I kind of like and loathe that analogy. Um, I like it because it helps people understand it, people start to see data as a resource, but clearly it's a different sort of resource. If we don't have a diversity of dialogue, a diverse group of people involved, then data does become the new oil, And this is the kind of future that we see, so that data is an asset that's used for its monetary value by a privileged group of people and creating an impact regardless of the impact that it has on communities and different sorts of people. So I'm very much in favour of having more people and a more diverse group of people, so people beyond the cosy boundaries of the ODI, beyond the tech area of Tech City, where we are here in London, and beyond the tech sector itself. So why do do I believe, anyway, why are not more people involved in this conversation? Why do people find it hard to contribute to it? And in fact, not just contribute to the conversation, but lead more work with data in their communities, in their organisations, in their companies, um, in politics, wherever they might be. There are two things, there there, there are probably quite a range of factors, but I'm going to focus on two today, and two that are sort of close to my heart and close to my area of interest. So one is data skills and data literacy, 
Um, as Hannah said, I was head of learning at the Open Data Institute. So I've been in the learning industry for about 15 years and I've been lucky for the last five years to be working on data skills. And certainly, if we want people to have constructive, constructive and informative conversations that actually help move the dialogue forward, that fundamental level of data literacy and then uh, forward movement in terms of data skills definitely is, is something that people need. So that's one of the things I'm going to look at. But perhaps the thing that's sort of closer to my heart and that challenges me most and that Hannah talked about at the beginning was the sense of imposter syndrome. Um, so it's something that everyone who was in the room earlier put their hands up and said they felt. Imposter syndrome, um, I'm going to talk about in terms of what it actually means, but imposter syndrome puts in place a sort of element of fear that actually stops people from getting involved in the conversation. So we're going to look at those two blockers. Now, why are those issues in data? Well, as I said, without a degree of data literacy, it's very difficult for people to get involved in the conversation, to lead, to contribute. But perhaps the more pernicious area is this sense of imposter. So imposter syndrome is, isn't a new thing. It's been around for a long time. If you feel that you suffer from imposter syndrome, you're in very good company, not just my company, which is probably not good company. But people from Albert Einstein to Meryl Streep to one of my favourite poets, Angela Mayo, um, they've all suffered from imposter syndrome. It was diagnosed or described as a condition in the 70s. But I think it's perhaps more recently that people have had the courage to step up. So imposter syndrome is that sense that you don't deserve to be where you are. So talking about it now, I feel this very intense sense of it. Like, how can I talk to you about data where, when I still feel that I'm imposter talking about data? And in fact, I had this weird sensation when I was coming on the train this morning of going, how can I talk about imposter syndrome? I don't really have it. So I was having imposter syndrome about my imposter syndrome. So it's very weird. But anyway, imposter syndrome is this sense that you're not an expert, that you don't belong in a group of experts, that you don't have anything to contribute, that you can't talk knowledgeably. It's a very pernicious set, sort of self-negative assessment. It's very often connected to um, uh, your opinion of yourself, and it has very negative outputs. So st stress, um, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of like knowing that you've got a talk coming up, let's say on a Friday at the ODI, and that you can't sleep for days on end. And this is, it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You get tired, you can't talk about it, you get very anxious, and... I'm feeling that anxiety now. But as you, as you think about it, it's something that you have to then start to accept. Um, the issue with imposter syndrome is that people then don't put themselves forward. And so if we think that we want a diverse conversation around data and we want to do more with data, if more people from a more diverse set of backgrounds don't contribute, then we're, we're losing something. And the challenge with imposter syndrome particularly is that it affects disproportionately women. So 70% of people who self-diagnose or are diagnosed with imposter syndrome are women. It affects people from minority backgrounds disproportionately. Curiously, it affects people more in England than it does in, the, in America, supposedly. So it says a lot about your cultural backgrounds. Now, I'm not saying these are the only blockers to people getting involved in the data dialogue, but certainly these two things are stopping a more diverse group of people um, getting involved in that. How do I know that this is an issue in data? I know that from my own personal experience. I'm a person working in data. 
but also know from speaking to colleagues, both openly and privately. Um, about three months ago, I had the privilege to speak at a data literacy conference over in France. I had my normal terrible panic the night before. And I came to a moment of clarity where I felt, actually, I needed to address this, and I needed to address it openly. And so in my talk about data literacy, I talked about my imposter syndrome, about how I didn't feel able to speak to people about data skills, despite having worked at the ODI, despite having a background of 15 years, and despite having effectively delivered work. And coming off that stage, three of the people who are my panellists and who are speakers came up to me and said, yes, this is what I feel as well. And that's one of the reasons why I was really happy to have the opportunity uh, to deliver the talk today. So one of the things that I'm going to talk about, we're going to talk about um, different ways that we can address data literacy and help use that to maybe address our imposter syndrome. Or if you don't suffer from that yourself, you know someone that does, maybe these are things that can help. I should point out that I'm, a, by training, a business psychologist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a psychologist that's taken the dirty money of commerce and tried to do something different. Um, so if you, are, if you suffer from imposter syndrome and that is having a stressful impact, I would suggest that there are other things. You shouldn't be listening to me. You should be listening to other experts. But I'll talk a bit about that towards the end. So this is not advice about psychology. This is advice about how, in the data domain, we can help ourselves, but we can help other people as well. And I think lots of people are worried about data and data skills. And so I've spoken to lots of leaders who perhaps don't suffer imposter syndrome, but when it comes to data, they kind of suffer from a sense of imposter syndrome because they know that everyone's doing it, but they don't, and they think they should be doing it, but they don't know how to get started. So we're going to look at this dual-headed monster, data literacy and imposter syndrome. And I'm going to address data literacy first. That's okay. Take a seat. And I'm going to think about five things that we can do and we can do for other people. So here are my five things. And these are five things that I found useful. They're not the only things. They're not the only ways of addressing your imposter syndrome. But these, from talking to other people and from my own particular work, I've found that these are particularly helpful. So the first thing when it comes to data and getting over that sense that you're an imposter is to understand what data literacy is, what data skills are and what they're not. The second is to define your own skills path. The third is to immerse yourself in this world. The fourth is to do something maybe a little bit different. And the fifth is about making friends with the imposter in you. And I'm going to talk, and that's the bit about imposter syndrome, so I'm just going to quickly talk through each of these five things. So let's try and take some of the mystery around data literacy and data skills. And I think there is a certain opaqueness to data literacy because it depends who you talk to. Data skills, sorry, depending on who you talk to, data skills can come across as very different things. I like, and partly because I helped write it, I like the Open Data Institute's definition of data literacy. And I'll let you read that. And if you can't read that online, the Open Data Institute has defined data literacy as the ability to understand data, how you can interact with it, and what impact it can have. Now, I think there's something very powerful and something simple in that, and particularly if you are coming at this from the perspective of, I'm an imposter, I don't deserve to be here, someone's going to come along and unmask me and throw me out of the building. Because this makes it very context-specific, and it makes it about you. It's all about how you understand data, 
how you interact with it and the impact it can have. So data literacy is very, very different for a, data, a classic data scientist. So this is our classic model or prototype of a data worker, the data scientist who is programming in R. But this definition suggests that's not the only definition of data literacy. So the data literacy that my mother requires is very different from that of a data scientist, but she still needs to understand how she, the impact data has on the world, how she interacts with it when she uses social media, and the impact it has when she does that. Someone who's a leader has to understand how data is being used in their organisation, where they're getting their reports from, and the impact it might have on their business. But they don't need to do programming like uh, a programmer who needs to understand data analytics, they need to understand R, R Studio, whatever the tools they might be using, and the impact it can have in terms of producing visualisations. So that's the first thing that I would urge you, if you or other people that you know, or just people that you're working with in your organisation, are thinking about data and their data skills. Think about data literacy as something that is unique to you. Your data literacy and my data literacy are very different. So for me, one of the things that I reconciled myself to the fact was that I was never going to become a programmer like I was trying to be. I was actually someone that could bring... I can bring my understanding about how people learn, about how organisations change, and I can use that and apply that to data. And actually, that's enough, because the impact I can have means that I can help people perhaps understand how to develop their skills. So I think that's really useful. So data literacy is very context-specific. It's very unique to us. Each of our data literacy is a unique thing. But as long as we are thinking these things through, then that can start to help us feel through the sense that there's a particular path we should be going down, and we're not experts. But once we've done that, we have a responsibility to think about skills. So this is my definition of what, how data skills are different from data literacy. So data literacy is something you describe and feel for yourself. Data skills can be defined, they can be assessed, they can be developed. So once you understand how you should be interacting and having an impact with data, there's certainly an opportunity to say, well, actually, these are the things that I need to know about and probably they can be measured, probably they can be described, probably they can be tested. This isn't just my definition, it's an aggregate of definitions. So we can think of something like data skills as much, much, much more granular than that broader definition of what um, data literacy is. Now, breaking that down in data is a difficult thing to do. And so a few years back at the Open Data Institute, we produced the data skills framework. Now, this might not be very, very clear online, and you can find it on the ODI's website if you search for skills framework. It is being updated to reflect um, how the world of data has uh, moved on. But this working version is, is going to be well, it's the prototype for 2019. But the point about what this does is that what this does is that it breaks down what's otherwise quite a big domain into manageable things that we can do. So this describes perhaps the entirety of data skills in terms of what an organisation would need to cover and would need to consider if it's going to get value from data and making value from data is making data intelligent so we can make better decisions, we can create change and we can create action. But the thing here is that for each of us, what we need to know in this framework is probably different. So depending on your role, and I'll give you some examples of what that means. So this is your classic data scientist. And as you can see, a classic data scientist 
They need to understand how to work ethically data. They need to know what data is. They need to know how to manage and use data and publish it and then use data to find insights. So this is your classic description, our classic view of what a data worker is. But that's not everybody, and it's certainly not me. And so you find that in different roles, so this is perhaps somebody who is uh, working in an executive or a leadership role. And the way that they can create an impact with data is by, again, thinking about the fundamentals, thinking about risk, thinking about ethics, but also thinking about how do we innovate as a business, how do we sustain the work that we do. The point about this is, is to think that our path and our route is very unique and very different for each of us. But to understand, based on our data literacy, how we want to interact with data, how we want to have an impact with data, that your route can be very different. And once you perhaps think about this, and thinking again about our own sense of imposter syndrome, once this, this has helped me personally, because it made me realise that actually, again, you can build towards an impact without having to be a fully-fledged data scientist. So I think this is a, it's a really useful tool. It's a tool that we use um, in, in the work that I do with the ODI. And we help organisations, individuals in organisations, understand that their route to data skills can be very, very different. My third kind of tip for kind of getting started and getting involved is to immerse yourself. So I'm paraphrasing a writer on data skills and data literacy, Jane Crofts, and that was one of her first things. There's, it's an exciting world. If you're here or watching a lunchtime lecture, you're starting that process of immersing yourself. But actually, it's a very forgiving world. Um, and just diving in can feel like a scary thing to do but actually, I'd recommend it. So whether it's a meet-up, a free course, lunchtime lecture, whatever it might be, you know, get involved in the community. It's a really good way of kind of overcoming that fear. And sometimes a difficult thing to do. My fourth idea is actually to do things differently, to do something different. Um, a few years ago, Jenny, the CEO of the ODI with Ellen Broad, um, who's an uh, author on artificial intelligence. They were the basic game lovers. They thought we should develop a game around open data, and they developed Datopolis. And during the process of developing the game in user testing, what um, they and those of us that were helping develop the game realised was that it was a really good way and a really sort of interesting and fun, but also kind of non-confrontational, non-scary way for getting groups of people together and actually experiencing how data works and how data ecosystems grow in practice. The reason that I bring this up in this context is because if, you, if, if you're finding it difficult to engage with some of the basic concepts, and particularly if you suffer from imposter syndrome, or you know people are, or you suspect that people might be in a leadership group, playing a game is a really nice way of bringing people together getting to explore some of the basic concepts, and then having a conversation. Because when we play a game, we assume a role, and that role, we don't have to worry so much about what other people, what the judgment of other people might have. And we've, in, in our work at Mission Drive, we've been using Datopolis more and more frequently because we got this sense that people weren't engaging with a dialogue that they were holding back because they were afraid and, that, and a lot of that fear came from their imposter syndrome. And so particularly with leaders, but in fact with any group, any kind of tool which takes away, uh, any kind of tool like Datopolis, 
which takes away that kind of sense that, oh, I have to be doing something or saying something to show that I'm in some degree able to contribute to this conversation is a really good one. Um, you can buy Datopolis online at Gamecrafter. Um, I don't get any commission for that, but I'm sure Jenny and the team would be delighted if you did. But in, in all seriousness, if you feel like you need in your work or just in your own individual life or with your um, friends and family, if you want to kind of make some headway into what's otherwise quite a daunting world, something like this that simulates that world but that takes away the burden of having to be an expert or, tr or aspire to be an expert, I think is a wonderful thing. And we've had, I've seen more light bulb moments from Datopolis than from workshops. Maybe that says something about the workshops I deliver, but, but certainly I would give it a go. It's actually just a fun game as well. So let's get back to imposter syndrome um, and particularly what you might do to overcome that. Um, Again, I don't want to give um, advice or the wrong sort of medical psychology advice. So if you are feeling that your imposter syndrome is putting you under stress, if you, if you do feel that it's holding you back and it's having other impacts and it might be connected to perhaps your own self-esteem or stress that you're under work, then talk to someone or maybe even um, think about help that you might be able to get out there. And there is, there is help you can get. But there are a few things that we can all do. The first thing is the thing that I was able to do, and I can speak from experience, naming it and being open about it. Like, if, if you know you're feeling this, just put a name to it. And if, you're, if you've got a talk to give, then realise that it, it, it is your imposter syndrome inside of you. It's Dr. Jekyll inside of you. And so you need to embrace that beast and almost respect it for what it is. I mean, the problem with imposter syndrome is that it almost gets worse the further you get up. So even, you know, the more you're doing talks, the higher up you go in an organisation, that sense that you've got so much further to fall becomes even more pernicious. There are different variations of imposter syndrome, but another, and so it's worth exploring perhaps why you're feeling that sense of it. Is it about self-esteem? Is it about your skills? Is it about something else? Um, there are different tactics you can take so, for example, just listening to that voice and naming the voice, if it's a very judgmental voice, just say, OK, thank you, judge. That's, uh, that's very helpful, but I'm going to ignore you for the moment. There are, um, there's, there's lots of uh, support you can get online as well. So um, there's, there's some really good blogs out there. There's a great article in The Guardian um, uh, a few years ago about imposter syndrome. So it's worth just searching and checking out what it is. And I think just if you are able to, to, to talk about it, just, just recognise recognizing the fact and recognising that you're in good company. And also recognising that it's not something weird and it's actually part of our evolution as humans is to worry and to be concerned. But then to try and move forward from there. there. There are other things you can do. So part of my coping mechanism, and thank you Hannah and the team at the ODI for indulging me, is to actually come out and talk about it and to do things like that. But I recognise that that's not something that everybody can do. However, if you think about it from a data skills perspective, if we come back to those things you can do, I believe that if you start with that fundamental understanding of what data skills are, if you define your own path, if you get stuck in, if you try and perhaps address things in a different way, then you are able to make friends with the imposter in you. And just going back to that final point, 
One of the things that I think we forget as humans is that we each have a unique perspective and to offer insight from that perspective doesn't mean that you have to be an expert. So the next time, if you do feel that grinding sense of I don't have anything to contribute, think about your values, think about what's unique about you, think about what's your experience and apply that to the thing that you're talking about. And certainly if you speak from your own sense of values, no one can take that away from you or say that you're not entitled to, to talk about it in that kind of way. Um, and if you want to get in touch or talk about these things, tweet and I'm available. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, uh, it's time for some questions. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, this doesn't amplify your voice. In fact, I don't even need to be speaking into it because I have another microphone. Um, it doesn't amplify your voice, but it just means that people watching on the live uh, stream can hear what you're asking and understand why Simon's answering uh, the question. Uh, anybody got a question to kick off? I've got one to start. Sure. Um, I'm not hiding. <laughs> anyway. what, yeah. what made you decide to come and give this talk in the, in, in the first place? Um, well, it was. I, I just felt that part of me getting over myself and my sense of imposter syndrome was that I wanted to talk about it. It's kind of a sort of a coping mechanism. Uh, it's one that I kind of love and loathe because I still haven't got over that sense. And as I was saying earlier, I still feel like I'm an imposter talking about imposter syndrome. So it's this weird thing, but I think it helps. I think I'm feeling a little bit better about things. Um, that, you know, but the problem is, is that you then open up yourself to that whole sort of follow-on thing of very harsh self-assessment and focusing on the bad things. So, but being able to put a label on it and talk about it, I think, is a helpful thing, for me anyway. Hi, yes, Hi. thank you very much for the talk. Um, so the imposter syndrome is something that might occur to people who are not always involved with data. So I was wondering if, in, from your point of view or from your experience, if there was anything, or if there was something that was unique about data and the imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think I'll, I was trying to sort of draw the thread between it. I think that I see a lot of imposter syndrome in the data world because it's particularly at a leadership level because it's talked about so often now, right? Everyone, most people in business are aware of AI, but there are not many people at least at Levin Business who know what AI should, will actually mean to their sector. And so that's why I believe that people then sort of feel, oh, I should know more about it, but actually then start to get this kind of pervasive sense of um, uh, you know, imposter syndrome. So it's kind of that thing everyone's doing. Everyone's doing data, but not me. Do you see what I mean? So it's, I think that's where it comes from. And, and definitely talking anecdotally to people around the industry who work with leaders, they agree. And the problem is, is that, that when, people, when it's not addressed, then you get leadership teams who don't take action, who don't take action to address their own skills, but perhaps also don't take action to address the skills of their business or you know, bring in an expensive consultancy or just perhaps take decisions that you might mm -hmm. not believe are the, the right things to do. Thank you. Um, some great ideas there, and, and uh, I'm so old that I'm not an imposter because, you know, I, I was alive before data. Not quite, <laughs> but <laughs> do you think, in the light of what you've just said, that there are sufficient um, lay 
level explanations. So AI is one of the things that there's an awful lot of misinformation around. And um, I think it would probably help if there were very simple explanations that are really reliable. Now, it may be that you do those already on your website, so my apologies. Uh, but I think the learning thing is, and the immersion is so important. Yeah. And I wondered if there, there are organisations or courses or whatever that you can recommend that are not too high level. You know, I've been trying to find stuff and there's, they start at the wrong level. I think, so yes, I, I totally agree with you. There's definitely more that we can do to help people overcome that fundamental data literacy. But the problem is, is that there's no common agreement of what that means. And there are lots of different people addressing this area, but they'll take their own perspective. So my view is that it's something that helps people engage in more in discussions about how we can make ethical use of our data infrastructure. But for other organisations, they might just think about it as a particular thing. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that we perhaps need to have a consensus about that. But also, I think there's definitely a gap of assuming that people, everyone knows what AI is. Um, but there are people who are starting to think about, well, how do we address this? Partly because if we don't address this, then we start leaving people behind. Um, I think that's starting already. And typically, and I think one of the things we're seeing is that, again, it's, you know, underprivileged um, people from, um, you know, sort of different backgrounds who are going to be disproportionately left behind. Um, hi, thank you. Really, really good talk. Um, yeah, took a lot from that. Um, particularly your, uh, the, the ODI open sort of the different roles thing. Because um, I, I work in data, but I always tell people that I'm not a data person. Um, so actually seeing that was quite very helpful to think, oh, I'm doing all these data things, but it's not programming. Um, and you, you talked about how you kind of define your own career through that and you choose your own blocks almost from that. Um, would, it, would it be good to have sort of properly defined data roles that aren't programming? Because I kind of... I kind of struggle to say like what I actually do. I sort of do a bit of data ethics and a bit of data management. Like, or is there anybody that you know of that's kind of defining those roles to say, yeah, this is a, a recognised role that people would recognise? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And so something, so certainly when we work with organisations um, to help them understand the roles that they currently have and how they map to the skills framework and perhaps what learning they need to do, then one of the first things that we do is we look at those roles and then we define what the different blocks might look like for those roles as well. That varies from organisation to organisation, so sometimes they have to address, adjust the framework. And again, that's a bit of work that we often do with businesses, which is to say, how, how can we make the framework look like your world? Is it just adding some new stuff in? Is it changing words? And part of that is defining by role or by intent of role. So if, you, if it's about innovation, what does that pathway look like? Does that answer your question? I kind of got lost halfway through, yeah. yeah. Any other questions? Um, I've got another one. Um, so obviously you've got the different sort of levels of people working with data or affected or having impacts, don't you? Your mum being at one level. Yeah. Although she could be a data scientist, I don't know. Yeah, she could she, be. <laughs> from the story that she's not. Um, but you, then you have people um, who are working um, as uh, chief technical officers or really high up. And uh, it, it's brought to mind uh, here at the ODI, Someone a couple of years ago mentions blockchain. Everyone nods, goes, oh, yeah, blockchain. Until someone goes, What's, what is blockchain? And everyone goes, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, good question, <laughs> what's blockchain? And you can go quite far down the line where people are kind of discussing this thing 
they don't even understand the, the fundamental elements of. And as, when you get into a certain role, I think there's a certain amount of assumption of you that you would know this stuff already. Yeah. So how would you advise that you kind of create the culture in an organisation to feel comfortable about asking those sorts of questions, no matter what your role is? Um, I think that's, well, it's, that's really difficult because you need an openness in the culture that allows people to kind of experiment and learn openly. And organisations, there are certain businesses that are really able to do that, but it is a difficult thing, particularly in a sort of quite competitive culture that we live in, for businesses to say it's fine to not know. I think it's almost the opposite. People, and that's where imposter syndrome often comes from, is that sense that, oh, I, I need to know about this stuff. But um, to your point about kind of senior people, we've often found in the work that we do, both the work I do with the ODI and the work that we do in our agency, is that we have to address the very basics. And that often can come out either in the first conversation or perhaps further on. And so often we put together little glossaries and shared among leaders. What is data? What do we, when you say value from data, what do we mean? What is, you know, so actually defining all these things. Um, if you don't do that, then people just get left behind. And actually, so if you can find a sort of non-threatening way of helping people explore these fundamental concepts, that's really good. And actually, that's why Datopolis is a great thing, because in setting up the game and then running the game and then talking about the game, we talk about very fundamental concepts. What is data? What do we mean by data infrastructure? How does data infrastructure deliver value? Those sorts of things. So finding a way of doing that is, and accelerating through that is a really good thing to do. How you do that depends, I think, because sometimes in some cultures it's very difficult. And, and turning a closed, competitive culture to an open, supportive culture isn't something you can do overnight. Any more questions before we finish up? Um, just before I thank Simon, we have a lunchtime lecture next week as well. Um, will the financial system ever be open? Um, or can it ever be open? Uh, it's another sold-out event, so please watch on the live stream if you can't make it, you haven't got tickets already. Um, and please join me to thank Simon again for today's talk. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.